Hey, this is Gerds Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Inner Light Project. My name is Gerd Tundel and today I want to share with you somebody who is just an amazing soul and has overcome many hurdles in her life. Nicole Christie is a writer, presenter and entrepreneur and the founder of Tudor Production, a storytelling studio that connects leading brands and notable people with their audience. Nicole, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I am absolutely honoured to be here. Oh, bless you. I'm just so excited to share this conversation with a fellow Libra and, you know, just (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting how our numbers are so similar as well. Um, But I'd love to talk to you about what your life was like before you founded Tula Productions. Yes. Um, You know, I I had some interesting um, chapters in terms of different places that I lived and different um, chapters of my career. So I founded Tula Productions um, technically in October of 2021 when I left my second lifetime at Microsoft. So I'm a two-time alum. I was there from 2000 to 2004 and then again 2017 to 2021. And in between that, I um, I was in New York working for a big consulting firm in their communications practice for a whopping 10 months. I had a two-year contract that I bought my way out of 10 months <laughs> in because <laughs> I realized very quickly. It was not the place for me, even though it was a great firm and the people I worked with were just so lovely. But I, um, I'd gone through some personal stuff, uh, moving from Seattle to New York, um, and, uh, had, you know, it ended a relationship and just a lot of personal things were going on. And so that was a moment of transformation as well. When I started my first, um, business, which I had from five to 17. So 12 years, it was called Nico. Uh, communications mm-hmm. firm. So I had uh, this sort of like, you know, I had a I had a corporate chapter and a couple of different roles before I got to Microsoft in 2000. But Microsoft, you know, big teaching me how to how to do what it is that I do as a, as a communicator, as a writer and a storyteller. And then um, having, you know, this 10 months at a consulting firm that when I basically, uh, you know, had kind of a, a little bit of a, a breakdown that became a breakthrough and mm. always knew I wanted to work for myself, started that firm and then went back to Microsoft in 2017 because I was kind of burned out and I didn't really know why, but I knew I wanted to do something new in the communication space as a storyteller, but I wasn't sure. And Microsoft um, had been through its own transformation. New CEO Satya Nadella had come in a couple of years prior and it was an opportunity for me to go learn. The company is is big about growth and learning. So I went back and uh, ended up hosting a talk show series a couple of years into that uh, chapter at Microsoft. I had an opportunity to, uh, my leadership came to me and said, you seem to kind of have a natural knack for this sort of thing, which I, in addition to being a storyteller, I'd done improv for three years in New York. So I'd studied and, and then was in, in an improv troupe and performing. So it kind of like spoke to all of my strengths and they said, would you like to host this podcast for the company? So I did that. And um, so that was kind of, you know, where, how my work basically led me to that. And then doing that podcast, I realized I've fallen in love with this form of storytelling because um, I've kind of dabbled in journalism uh, as a freelance features writer and mm. um, written profiles and things over the years. So on the, that was part of, you know, my, my uh, 2005 to 2017 business. And I was like, what I love about podcasting is it doesn't feel like a Q and a, it doesn't feel like I'm doing an interview or profiling someone I'm actually having conversations. So I fell in love with that. And I knew it's time to go back out on my own again and be an entrepreneur. And I want to do this. I want to tell stories. I want to um, have authentic, vulnerable conversations. So that was kind of my career trajectory. And then obviously alongside that, what was happening in my personal life. So, you know, going back to, you know, I go to New York um, and I'm, and I'm healing from the loss of a relationship at that time. And also just had always wanted a chapter in New York in my life. And that was the opportunity to do it. Like, well, everything else is falling apart. Why don't we go and try to start over and go somewhere? 
or that I'd felt called towards. I'd known since I was a very small child that I wanted to be a writer and I loved reading and books. And when I was probably in first grade, I read the copyright page and it said, you know, random house in Avenue of the Americas, New York, New York. And I'd ask my parents like, where's that? And they showed me where it was on a map. And I was like, that's where books are made. I need to go there. <laughs> so I knew like my Aww. whole life that I wanted to be there, but it just had never seemed feasible or possible. And suddenly it did. And so, yeah, so personally, you know, I have this chapter in New York for a little over four years. I take my business back to my hometown of Seattle. I felt called. I always am someone that kind of follows where I feel pulled. It doesn't always make sense on paper, although generally it does once I do it. It's like, oh yeah, this, this made sense. And I'm not somebody that, you know, takes uncalculated risks. Um, I definitely do some degree of due diligence on, but, um, so I felt pulled back to Seattle in 2009. I'd been in New York about four years and, um, yeah. And just, you know, personally what started, you know, happening at, at that same time, a few years after I moved back to Seattle, I met my now ex-husband and we were in a long distance relationship from Seattle. He was in Montreal um, oh, wow. for seven and a half years <sighs> and got married, <laughs> got married during that time. And this is a time when there was no direct flight. Air Canada now has a direct flight from Seattle to Montreal. But when we were together um, in, in the seven and a half year long distance relationship, it was 12 hours door to door because you'd connect somewhere. I'd usually connect in the Midwest so I could go through customs in Montreal, once I had gotten to my destination, learned that the hard way, don't do that. Um, <laughs> otherwise you get stuck in Toronto and don't make your connection. So um, anyways, but you know, for seven and a half years, we're having this long distance relationship. And, um, you know, I'd kind of been single for a long time before I, I met him. And so this was like very exciting. And, um, you know, he had a very sort of glamorous life, what he does for a living. And so I was traveling with him. And um, because I worked for myself, I was able to spend about a month at a time. I'd go to Montreal for a month, back to Seattle for a month, and he would come out to Seattle, but not as often. His work wasn't as flexible as mine. So, you know, from 2012 to 2019, we have this relationship, we get married. And then in 2019, um, we end up, uh, he gets a job out in San Diego wow. and, um, we're, we're able to be together for the first time. Uh, you know, cause we had talked about me moving to Canada. He's American also. So he was on a work permit, but, um, it was like, we really wanted to be back in the States together. And so now mm -hmm. we get that opportunity. So, uh, in June of 2019, I am eight days from moving from Seattle to San Diego and I start to break out in pink spots and I'm like, what is, what is going on? I'm not feeling well, feel kind of feverish. As it turns out, I had something called hand, foot and mouth disease. <gasps> no one yeah. knows how I got that. Uh, I don't have kids. I hadn't been around kids. It's something that children get. Um, but I was so stressed out, like coordinating this international move, you know, he's mm -hmm. leaving Montreal for San Diego. I'm leaving Seattle. Um, I'm working at Microsoft at the time. It's super stressful. Lots of things going on, not in any sort of negative way, but just a lot going on. And then I was also in a memoir writing program and I was finishing my manuscript and I was getting ready for graduation reading. And all of this was happening <laughs> at the exact same time. <laughs> the reason like, I'm laughing, sorry, is because you're a Libra. Yeah. You're such a Libra. That's what we do. We take on too much <laughs> than we can. And then it's oh my chaos. God. And then Libras are go, yeah, go big or go home until yeah. the universe shuts it down for you. You are hundred percent. I'm on, I'm on track with the Libra connection there. Um, oh. so yeah, ultimately wow. what ended up happening, um, you know, I'd, I'd gone to the ER a couple of times and been turned away and it just kept getting worse and worse. And what they ultimately, the third time went to the ER, they said, we're admitting you because I had lost about eight pounds in a week <gasps> and, um, I was malnourished at that point. It wasn't getting, you know, I couldn't get food because I, my whole mouth was filled with these sores and, um, I, I was like dehydrated. I needed nutrients. I needed medication. I needed steroids, anti-inflammatories, like everything. Wow. Um, so what happened was they determined I had a secondary condition that they believe was a stress induced autoimmune response called, and it was called a condition called erythema multiform. So my entire body looked like I was covered in target lesions. <gasps> like, like bullseye. <laughs> and, uh, and this was in my mouth. So my mouth, my, my, uh, the inside of my mouth, I wasn't able to eat or drink for a long time. And, and my lips were bleeding and pussing for three weeks. Oh so God. I got very, very tiny. Um, yeah. So I was in the hospital for ultimately a week and was released the day before I had to move <laughs> to San Diego. And they said, you're not doing that. You're going to, at this point, you know, my, my 
husband was there. My parents were there, you know, friends were coming in and I've been literally in the hospital for a week. And so they're releasing me and they said, you need to go to your parents' house. You're to my parents. You're going to rehabilitate her because, um, at that point my skin was starting to come off. So I lost <gasps> multiple layers of skin. All my toenails turned black and popped off, which is not uncommon with hand, foot and mouth disease. People lose their skin wow. and nails, but this was epic. Like it was like the skin was like taking gloves off my hand and no show socks off my feet. Like it was coming off in sheets. Oh and, gosh. um, it was very metaphorical to me. I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of person who will examine something and be like, what is this telling me? Like, what is this a symbol of? And I had some friends that were he that are healers who said, you know, your skin is your ultimate boundary. So what is that telling you about maybe how you're not showing up for yourself? Is that, is that symbolic? Maybe it's not, maybe it's just a freak thing, but I started really digging into that and was like, I think that I am not good at setting boundaries for myself, protecting myself, taking care of myself. So that's going on. I go rehabilitate at my parents' house in Oregon for a couple of weeks. I ultimately finally get to move to San Diego with my husband two weeks later. So we're now July 1st of 2019. He's been, uh, I'm still in San Diego. So I say here been here, you know, a couple of weeks at that point. And, you know, ultimately I healed over the next nine months, but it really took that long before I looked normal, before my skin came back. It was two years before my toenails were normal. Um, but by March of 2020, you know, I was looking pretty normal and we know what happened in March of 2020. I had just sort of emerged from this healing and being in a new city and had just started to go back to Pilates and make new, make friends and, and be like, okay, I'm ready to explore San Diego and, and dig in and, and figure out this place that we have landed that is so beautiful. And we're both beach people. So we loved being here in the sun and the beach and the water. And then March, 2020, we all know what happened. And so the lockdown starts, uh, that month and a week later, I find a lesion in my left eye, in the inner corner oh my of my left eyelid. And it just looks like sort of like a, like a skin tag or something. And I'm like, what is my, I had been watering a lot and I look, I'm like, what is that? Well, no one could see me for months because if you, you know, unless you had COVID or you were having a heart attack, no one was going to see somebody with an eye lesion. So mm -hmm. it wasn't until July of 2020 that I was able to see someone and it was Ooh. growing rapidly at that point. Like it was hard for me to keep this lesion tucked inside my eyelid at that point. And I was like, I have to get in and see something, someone like what is happening. So I got into uh, a doctor that um, removed it and sent it off to pathology and said, you know, it's like an 80% chance. It's just what they call a papilloma totally benign, 80%, 20% chance it's, it's cancer. Um, you know, of that 14% basal cell two uh, 5% squamous 1% it's melanoma. So even though, um, it was inside of my eye, it was classified as skin cancers, but the, the concern is, um, I had cancer, a, a conjunctival cancer, which is like the skin of your eye. It's what's on the outside of your eyeball. It's also what lines your eye. And the concern uh, for that is because it's more like of a mucous membrane and it's more porous that if it spreads, it can go to the back of the eye, to the brain and into your head and neck lymph nodes, um, unlike skin cancer, which is generally not too dangerous, um, unless it's melanoma, right? People definitely worry if they have a melanoma. So I'm told, you know, this is your, these are your odds that you have cancer, very, very low likelihood. And then I end up finding out it is indeed squamous cell. So 5% chance <laughs> I should go to Vegas and gamble more because I beat all <laughs> sorts of odds. Also the thing that would happen to my skin when they discharged me, they said, Oh, by the way, there was a 15% chance that you were going to die because you were starting to go septic. So I was like, okay, apparently I enjoy cheating death. Um, this is exciting. So yeah. So I find out that it's cancer. I end up, um, seeing an ocular oncologist. So I'm diagnosed with ocular cancer and there are only 300 ocular oncologists in the world and there are none in San Diego, but there are a couple centers of excellence at USC and UCLA in LA. So two hours North of San Diego. And I end up going to a wonderful ocular oncologist at USC Roski and um, start that treatment at the end of August, 2020. And she does surgery a month later. And then I go into six months of immunotherapy, which I call chemo light. So it's not like an infusion like chemotherapy is, but 
um, it's directly into the eye, which is also fun, but much quicker than sitting there for hours, you know, feeling sick and all the things that happened with chemo, which is so much more horrifying than what I went through. But it was still six months of that, uh, six months of of uh, interferon eye drops four times a day that had to be kept at 37 degrees and cost $750 a vial. Oh. And I had to fight to get all of this covered. You know, I had to fight my insurance to cover my cancer treatment. So that was fun. That's going on. Meanwhile, my job at Microsoft is just through the roof during COVID because I'm in communications and there's so much, you know, our, our many industries were impacted in different ways, but the communications world, you know, got hit pretty hard with needing mm-hmm. to talk to customers and employees about w- what's happening during COVID. So yeah, I'm stressed out, um, taking a little bit of time off, uh, thankfully had good, um, short-term disability leave, but about a week off after every one of my treatments. So monthly immunotherapy treatments until February of 2021. And I think that I'm graduating from immunotherapy and I bring like scones from the San Marino cafe where (laughs) my then husband and I would always go before my appointments. And, um, and they tell me, uh, yeah, so your MRI shows suspicious tissue, which I had seen something had popped up in the month since I'd been there since January. Um, and we need to operate again because we're concerned that it's back. And if it's back, it's very aggressive. And if it's very aggressive, we need to operate quickly to save your eye and potentially your life. And as it turns out, it was back. Um, I didn't get to have that surgery. I was supposed to have it the week after I was told this. So this is end of February, 2021. I didn't have it until April because my husband and I got COVID (laughs) during that time. Great. Thankfully we were very mild, but, uh, yeah, so we got COVID and then our cat died and then I had surgery on April 7th. So it was like this whole string of things that happened, but yes, ultimately it had come back. And then at the end of April, so this was April 7th, they did the surgery and said, it is back you need to have the radical surgery we'd been trying to avoid by doing immunotherapy where um, they removed the entire half of my lower eyelid. And also what they had determined when I first went to see this oncologist is that the tumor was actually not just the part that had been removed. It was wrapped all the way down my tear duct, like along the side of my nose, which I also thought was an interesting metaphorical. Um, yeah. So, you know, maybe if you're not feeling and expressing your emotions, uh, perhaps cancer sets into one of the body's major outlets for emotions. I literally had cancer in my tear duct as well as the conjunctiva. So yeah, uh, end of April of 2021, I had this radical surgery, three and a half hours. They remove half of my eyelid, take out my tear duct, rebuild my tear duct, rebuild my eye. Amazing oculoplastic surgeon here at uh, UC San Diego that I am forever grateful for, literally saved my life. Um, mm. And uh, and that was kind of the end of that journey. During that time, uh, it was really February of 2021 that it sunk in. Um, by the way, I'm just rambling. Do you want to ask a question? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so fascinated because it's okay. so... Do you know what? So, so you are my twin in many different ways. Oh, I love this. I so, love it. I just want to say I'm so proud of you for getting through all of this because Thank you. it's tough. And when you're going through it, yeah. it's 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 almost like you go through the why me situation universe. Yeah. But then it it really is a bless it's blessing in such a different way. And I totally, oh, totally. Re- I totally relate with you. So I'm actually a former journalist. I uh-huh. left 11 years ago. Yep. And, you know, we were talking about communications and being free and how we speak. That's one of the reasons why I left the journalism world, because I felt restricted oh. and I couldn't speak my truth. And when I would interview yeah. people, I couldn't ask those questions. Whereas yeah. when I went on my journey of just going from within, I was able to have these deeper connections like we're having today. And to mm-hmm. me, that's more magic, you know, being able yes. to share from the heart. It, that just blows me away. And mm-hmm. on my journey, my my healing journey began when I had a cancer scare and oh. they had actually misdiagnosed me and I ran out of the hospital <gasps> And I, well, oh actually, originally, what did happen was I was sat waiting to see the doctor. And I was like, why me? What have I done? You know, I had so much mm. anger and resentment in my life at that point. And I heard, voice, I heard a voice say, you created this. And I looked around the room and nobody was there. And I was like, am I going crazy? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, awakening oh, moments. Yep. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm going to ignore that. And then when I, they told me they misdiagnosed me, I ran out of the hospital. I cried and I heard it's time to heal. And I just never looked back. And I went on this deep transformational like journey where I, I, yeah. I've i healed, my gosh, decades, ancestral, cultural society, you name it, trauma, familiar trauma, patriarchal. But through that journey, as I was healing, I ended up with a kidney problem. 
And I didn't know I was born with a kidney problem. I found out when I was 29 years old and I fought to save my kidney. So by the time I was 30, I had an operation. When they did the operation, this is where it's similar with your eye, which I think is so fascinating. Um, they found at the top of my utero pipe was a crisscross. The pipe had been had like had a crisscross in there. So again, I, I think, hmm, oh. like they said I was born with it. And I'm like, oh, and my right kidney was smaller. So they managed to remove five centimeters of it and stitch me up and reconstruct my kidney. But yeah, it's just so fascinating. Some of the things that you're saying, like when we're going through these, we're like, why? And in that moment after that, I got kidney disease and I was like, why me universe? And then it was a sign that I needed to go deeper and slow down Mm. and connect with my feminine energy because I'd always been in this masculine alpha energy. You know, it's in the media world, right? You know, we, you know, it's all about putting on your trousers like a man and you know being an alpha woman and getting shit done but actually that's not life life is how we're talking right now and so I really had to go in and slow and nurture myself mother myself the way I probably wasn't mothered growing up father myself the way I wasn't father Mm -hmm. growing up Mm -hmm. so much trauma came out so much healing and then the beauty is how the universe works I was like show me the way you know I don't want to have kidney disease um and it did. I found somebody who was a holistic person. He's, I don't know if you've heard of him, but it's called Medical Medium. A lot of people think he's yes. a bit cuckoo, but he's not. I know what I, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I followed his protocols. I was like, what's the worst that could happen? I've tried everything. I've done everything. Exactly. You know? yep. And I just, I just went in and I just tried like the celery juice, the cucumber juice, just became like cleaner with my diet. Within seven months, I reversed it, Nicole. I believe that 100% because it was all about you know, it wasn't happening to you. It was happening for you. And it's like, you just needed to go within and tend to yourself. And it's amazing. And I don't want to make light right of people that, you know, have, have, you know, real journeys that, you know, where Western medicine is necessary. Even what happened to me, I was like, I had to have my, I don't think I would have survived had I not had my eyelid got out, but the real healing, if I, if I, you know, is, is when you go inside yourself and realize how are you not showing up for you, which is why I started the podcast here for me. That was the biggest lesson. Mm-hmm. I was not being here for myself. Ooh. So that's what you learned as well. You need yeah. to be here for you and have these conversations. Yeah. Journalism is uh, not to slam on our, you know, former yes. profession, but um, it is all about scoop and it's all about, you know, and, and I'm sure you do this too. When you watch people being interviewed, it just makes my hackles go up when I see someone trying to push somebody to give an answer that yes. is scoopy or, you know, it's not provocative. It's just privacy yeah. invasion. I, I tend to get very upset about that. Whereas in this kind of a forum where we're having a conversation, you can ask those questions in a caring, connected way, as opposed to, I'm trying to be the first one to report this about this human being. Yes. I hate that. It's that sense of urgency. And it's like life isn't about urgency. Life is flow. Life is balanced and connection. We don't go to somebody's house and be like, oh my God, I need this. We have a conversation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it comes out in a in a in a real and authentic way. Yeah. And just, you know, what you were saying about the medical world, like I don't shun it. Like, you know, had we not gone to the medical system, we wouldn't have learned that we had these health conditions. You know, I would have not known that. I had to have surgery in order to sort the the bits out. I I saved my kidney, but I had to, because I listened to my soul. My soul said, do not remove the kidney. And I kept hearing it. And I was like, okay, I need to listen to that message. So when I, yeah, whenever I listen to my voice, it tells me again, I had a problem with my right tonsil for years ago, a few years back. Uh And the, 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 the surgeon said, Oh, we can remove it. And I was like, give me six months. And then I did it within six months, all disappeared. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, So hundred percent believe it. I believe medical and holistic work together because we go to the medical world first to find out what Mm -hmm. the problem is. Then we can heal what we need to heal there, but we also need the holistic aspect to heal it fully. It's it's a perfect blend of both. We need, you know, yes. Years ago, I would be like, no, I'm so anti, you know, medical. And that's because I've worked in a pharmacy growing up, you see. So I, Uh yeah. So I'd seen the end of people taking 10 to 20 medications in their 60s and thinking, why are they Mm -hmm. doing that? So, but I realize now the power of both. We need to have both in order to heal to a high level. It's a collaboration. And I feel like in many ways, you know, Western medicine is, is more for the acute conditions like you had with your kidney where you need to like have a surgery or something and it's and it's very eye-opening and then uh, more holistic medicine um is something that it's almost like ongoing 
you know, if you mm-hmm. tap into that and use it, how do you um, discover things about yourself and your body? How do you heal in a more gentle way? But you're right. They work together. It's a partnership. It is. And we just need to embrace it more. I think sometimes when you're going through those journeys, we just kind of follow one way or the other, but actually both is so incredibly powerful. And also a lot of the time our health conditions can also be linked to relationships, right? Yes. Yes. So I want to dive in a deeper bit about your experiences, you know, Mm -hmm. with being in a narcissistic relationship. Yeah. So, uh, it, it really, I, my eyes were, it's funny when I talk about my eye, my eyes were literally opened and also metaphorically opened or figuratively, um, in February of 2021, it was the night before that last cancer treatment when they uh, figured that my cancer was potentially back. Um, I, I had not recognized that the dynamic between my now ex-husband and I had been emotionally and verbally abusive pretty much mm-hmm. the entire, at that point, we'd been together for uh, nine years. It had been that way the entire time. I had excused a lot of that dynamic as the stress of a long distance international relationship mm-hmm. um, and you know a lot of other things, just anything circumstantial. And so I really thought when we get to San Diego, like all of this is going to get better. And I don't think of myself as a particularly naive person, but I, I really did believe that that was, you know, we're going to, we're going to be fine. We're going to live under the same roof together. We're going to have a place together. We literally donated almost everything that we each owned as we had it for like 20 years, you know, and started over together, new furniture, everything, whole new life. And I had very high hopes for that. And, uh, yeah, so we get here and instead of getting better, the dynamic gets worse. Of course it does, because that's what happens in an abuse relationship. But I still was not recognizing it as that. The night before that last treatment, um, there was an incident that I uh, will not go into the details of, but it was the last straw when I knew I am not safe with this person. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean emotionally and verbally safe. Um, I cannot grow old with this person. If this is how someone treats any other human being. And it wasn't the first time this kind of treatment had happened, but it was the most egregious instance. If this is how someone treats someone going through cancer (laughs) and someone who is apparently the person that they love more than anything in the world. And as I said, much less any human being, this is not somebody that I can grow old with. And I knew that in that moment, February of 2021, the next day I go and they're like, we think your cancer might be back. It was the worst 18 hours of my life, literally. Like I realized I'm in an abusive marriage. I have been the whole time and I haven't been seeing it clearly. Now I'm told my cancer might be back. Um, uh, oh my God. And then, as I said, you know, March of 2020, 2021, we get COVID, our cat passes, <laughs> just like, here we go one after the other. And then finally, you know, not until end of April, 2021, they cut this cancer out in June, June of 2021, I was declared cancer-free. Wow. We got it all. Um, still, you know, follow-ups and things for years to come and MRIs and CAT scans and all that to make sure that it stays away. But, you know, I said, we, we got it all. So that summer of 2021, I, having had this realization, I was like, I have to, I can't stay in this relationship. I found a therapist who specializes in narcissistic abuse recovery, who was based in LA, but it was the pandemic. So I was able to see her virtually. And I started actually working with her right before my second surgery in April, 2021, the one where they confirmed the cancer was back. Um, And I spent 10 months working with her and she, her whole thing. and, And many, many therapists who work with intimate partner violence is it's not my job to tell you to stay or go. It's my job to give you the tools to thrive to the best of your ability and get your needs met, whatever you decide, unless you are physically in danger. That's a completely different story. Um, So I told her from the get go, I I believe that I need to go, but I'm not, I'm not ready. And I need to also just be able to survive, if not thrive in this for as long as I'm in it. So she and I worked together for 10 months building what I call the emotional toolbox, which she called the emotional toolbox. And so that's summer of 2021. I really was like all of my friends uh, and by all, I mean like the three to five who knew what had been happening and they all knew you guys, I think I'm in an abusive relationship. And I think it might be this thing called narcissistic abuse, which someone had suggested to me, a friend had suggested it. And then I'd read into it and found this therapist. Um, I said, I just need to spend this summer 
pretending this is not what's happening because the last two summers have been the skin thing in 2019, 2020. It was all about the eye cancer. It's 2021. I'm cancer free. I need to stick my head in the sand and just find some joy. That's what I need right now. Cause they were all like, you're going to go, you're cancer free time to leave the relationship, get out. And I was like, no, I just <laughs> need to pretend it's fine and, and yeah. breathe and think. And so I took that summer to really think. And at that, at that time I was also realizing, I think it's time to leave Microsoft and go back out on my own again and do this storytelling mm. and, and helping others tell their story and producing podcasts and doing keynote speeches for people and all the things that I wanted to do with, with Tula Productions. Um, so I spent that summer thinking about that. That felt like the most nourishing thing. That was the thing that felt warm that I wanted to go towards. So I was like, that's going to come first. And in October, 2021, I, I gave my notice and within, you know, I don't even know a day or two of, of the email going out at Microsoft that I was going to be leaving at the end of October, I had my first two clients. So two of my colleagues wrote and said, oh my God, can we be your first clients? Like, we can be my first, you can be my second. By the way, I'm taking three months off to just enjoy the holidays and bake cookies and do whatever I need to do to relax <laughs> and unplug. I'm not starting the business till January of 2022. And they were like, great, we'll see you then. So that was very affirming. Like this is Microsoft has just, you know, so, been such a big part of my life and Mm -hmm. So much of what I know and the people that I have in my life and the clients that I've always had in both of my businesses, much of it has come from, from that network of people. So yeah. So October, 2021, I, I leave Microsoft. I take those three months off. I start Tula in January of 2022. And now I've been working with that therapist for 10 months. And I knew at that point, it's time to take a pause, a break from therapy, which I've been in and out of therapy for 23 years. I'm sure, you know, we all do this. We're like, I got to integrate everything. And so I told her, I do know that I need to leave. I have the tools I need. It doesn't mean I'm not going to come back because I might need a tune up here at some point or to readdress something, but I need to take a pause and integrate. And she said, I support you in doing that. So I left therapy in January of 2022. And this was, you know, things were like, like the, all the COVID stuff with Delta and, and whatever, all the different, you know, variants was kind of calming down. My Pilates studio was back up and running at full speed. I was healed and I thought it is time to go make sure my outsides reflect my insides. So I went back to my Pilates studio and I told my instructor, I need you to kick my ass into the best shape I've ever been in in my life because I have a metaphorical backbone of titanium and I need to have an actual, like my back, everything needs to be strong. And so I worked with her to get into great physical shape, which was important to me. I really was like outside need to reflect the inside of all this strength and all these tools on the inside to deal with this person in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and now I need to feel like, you know, I, I, I feel that when I walk. So yeah, March, 2022, I started working with her knowing at some point I'm knowing this, we're getting closer. I'm going to need to leave this relationship, but I don't know when it's going to be. We did have a sort of a recommitment during that time where there was kind of a, the last straw coming to Jesus meeting, as I call it, we'd had probably five of them over the years and, <laughs> um, tried to, tried to like, okay, one more. Right. And I thought, I, but I'm, you know, my heart, I'm knowing I, I just, I can't stay in this. I, I know that this person is not capable of meeting me where I need to be met. Mm -hmm. So that was March of 2022. And, um, and yeah, and then I started producing here for me. So I had known, uh, my producers said to me, they produced the podcast I hosted at Microsoft. They said to me in November of 2020, you need to have your own show. Um, yep. And so I'd been noodling on this. What is this going to be about? And I finally had the concept and I knew what I wanted, the kind of stories I wanted to tell and why. And in April of 2022, I started producing the first few episodes um, and we launched six months later, last October. And I, it was, it was in writing the first two episodes where I told the story with my skin and I told the story um, about what had happened with my eye that I was forced to reflect on how everything had unfolded mm -hmm. and how I had been treated during that um, and how I had abandoned myself for a decade. Mm -hmm. And it was a devastating realization. And writing the show, the first two episodes, that was when I knew you have to go. It wasn't that I needed to check a box and be congruent with the message that I was sharing on here for me. It was, I actually feel this message in my body. This is in my bones now. My life has to reflect this because otherwise I'm out of alignment with what I know is true. Hmm. And cool. so it still was not, you know, still was <laughs> not until uh, September of 2022. It's been almost a year to the date. We're recording this at the end of August, 2023, um, that I 
had the conversation. And again, I walked into that room with a strength physically and emotionally that I'd never had in my entire life. It was one of the calmest, most rational conversations I've ever had. It, there was so much truth and it was devastating. And, and that conversation went on for like days, you know, it was days and days and days of him convincing me you know, trying to convince me not to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but not, there was nothing that was going to change my mind. I, I was, I had so much conviction. I knew this was the right thing. I knew it was what I had to do. And, um, and yeah, that was, that was the, the, I think kind of the last straw, but it was 2019, my skin, 2020 eye cancer, 2021, I left Microsoft 2022. I left the marriage. So for four years, there were the biggest milestones of my life really. Um, just one after the other to get into alignment and be here for myself in a way that I'd never been. Wow. Wow. I just want to congratulate you for, for having the courage to leave because so many women mm-hmm. don't even realize that they're in narcissistic relationships and, yeah. and, yep. and that stems from childhood, but it also stems through the patriarchy, right? So yep. A lot of us just keep carrying on taking on the shit and thinking, oh, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw that growing up. Oh, that's probably normal. Oh, and then, yep. it, but, but your body's telling you something's not right. Mm, that's the yeah. disrespect. Oh, it'll be fine. They're, yes. they're changing. Everything will be fine. Yeah. But it, it, people don't understand how hard it is to leave those relationships. And I can mm-hmm. put my hand up because I've left one recently mm-hmm. in February. And I understand mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying. It took me a long time to accept this was not going to work out anymore. And it was so heartbreaking and it was awful, but it was so powerful as well. Equally, like when, like you said, when you were new, that was it. That's when the time's to go. And some of my friends were like, but why didn't you leave earlier? Why did you like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And I was telling them, and and I recently actually recorded a video on this on, on social media, like you can be the most educated woman in the world and still end up in a toxic relationship. 100%. It's not, it's not yep. about the education. It's about generational trauma. Now, mm-hmm. you know, it might not be your parents that that you saw growing up that were in a toxic relationship, but it could have been your grandparents. And so it can skip a lineage. And when people actually start to understand that, that's when we will fully heal. I remember someone saying to me growing up, oh, I don't understand why all these girls are so educated, but they they put up with all this crap. And I used to think that as well. I'm like, why would you put up with stuff? And that's because I was very strong mm-hmm. and I wouldn't take any crap from any man. But somehow I ended up in one. And then I realized like, yeah. shit, you know, it's not about are, the education. No, no, there are. so, I, And it's part of why I wanted to start telling the story as well, is that I am sure you do, too. I now see other relationships. And I go, Oh, Oh God, I recognize that, you know? Um, and I, and you know, you don't see emotional and verbal abuse from the outside. And I, I can say that the relationship I was in, God, it looked so perfect. Right. I mean, everybody was like, look at this life, you know, he has this like glamorous job and he's, you know, touring around the world and I'm going on tour and, and, you know, I'm working all over the world with him and you guys are in San Diego and it, it, it like everything about, you know, people would be, oh, you guys are so, you know, look so good together. Like everything looked yeah. so perfect. And I, what I realized, and maybe you did as well. Um, I was in love with the idea of that relationship. There were things that I thought were true yes. because of whatever boxes were checked, but for, t- it took me 10 years to realize, um, what you, think this is, is not remotely what this is. And I think that when you have trauma, um, and when you go through something like this, at least for me, and this is a, this is, you know, something that therapists have have shared as well, but I'm not a therapist. So I just want to be clear. I'm not a doctor, but your brain literally you dissociate because when you're going through trauma, it's too difficult for your brain to sort of remain connected because it can't process the disconnect between what you think is, should be happening and what's actually happening. And so I think to some degree, when you're in relationships like this, and if you're in love with the idea of something, you can't even see clearly. It's like my, your brain's broken. And I went through EMDR, which is, um, you know, I went through somatic experiencing schema therapy, lots of different modalities. I'm sure you have as well, but EMDR was developed, um, and, and found to be very effective for, um, veterans, you know, people who've been through Mm -hmm. war and have really serious PTSD because that's what happens. They can't possibly, you can't continue walking if you process and see that trauma. So your brain just breaks. That's why people black out, right? You have, you can't remember certain things because if you did, you would 
explode. Um, and so you have to rebuild those connections. And I, and it, once you start rebuilding those connections, it's really traumatic because you realize, oh shit, this is not what I thought it was. But then that's where, you know, the opportunity to heal begins. And I think also with the narcissistic piece, one thing I've been trying to do, um, and telling the story is educate people about what my therapist educated me on, which is that there's a spectrum of narcissism and people don't think they're part of a narcissistic um, abuse, a narcissistically abusive relationship because it's not the person with a Lamborghini who's taken selfies and glamorous. Um, there's also yep. on the other end of that is the covert narcissist who comes in and preys on your empathy, who preys mm -hmm. with a soft story, vulnerabilities like, oh, poor me, poor me, which is what happened to me. There was also some grandiose stuff for sure because of, you know, what, what he did for a living and, 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 you know, things that came along with that, but it was mostly this, you know, poor me, poor me and, and activating all this empathy in me. And I was rescuing and saving and rescuing and saving it was all the codependency stuff from my childhood. Um, and just, and it's like the narcissists and, and empaths are just a perfect match for each other. But a lot of people don't know about that and they don't know about covert. And even my therapist said when she was getting, you know, her master's in marriage and family therapy, she, they didn't even teach us about the spectrum there. It was still like, you know, the DSM wow. was still categorizing narcissism as grandiose. So it's something that she's also looking to do, but people don't realize that. Like, I'm not with a narcissist. Like, you know, he's poor. I'm just giving a very extreme example. Like, what are you talking? It's like, yeah, well, I'm not saying that's not, but look at the way that you are not getting your needs met. You are not seen. You are not heard. You are not valued. You are supply for this person. And something I realized too, people will say, well, can narcissists fall in love? Well, they fall in love with supply. Yeah. They don't fall in love with the person. And and I also was with someone who was neglectful is another part of that spectrum, which is I don't see you. I don't hear you. I don't value you unless whatever uh, you need to be seen or heard for is going to serve me. So one example I give is every year we had an argument about what my birthday was. Um, do you know, that's so interesting because this, <laughs> th this person made me cry on my birthday a few times. Oh, Yes. And this is a thing that um, my therapist actually shared with me. She said, narcissists, yes. when the day is not about them, yes, <laughs> they will ruin it. And I was like, is that why my yes. birthday was often ruined? And mm -hmm. also we got into an argument on every single wedding anniversary. Should they have <gasps> a way of ruining any sort of um, celebration? And even yeah. that night before my last cancer treatment, the idea we would usually drive up in the morning, my appointments were always at 1130. So we'd leave San Diego, we'd go to this cafe and have our breakfast, and then we'd go to the hospital. And we had said, let's go the night before the last treatment. And let's stay at this fabulous hotel in Santa Monica, where we always loved going and have dinner at our favorite restaurant. Let's do that. And when I started seeing my therapist six weeks later and told her about what happened, where this, you know, just horribly egregious thing happened and, you know, I'm not even going to go into it. She said, how dare you ask a narcissist to meet your needs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. She said, that is exactly, it was supposed to be this celebration and, you know, it's the end of my treatment and, you know, and, and it ended up being without question, the most horrible night of my life where I had, you know, this, this, this awakening in a way of, of wow. what needed to happen. But yeah, that is, that is a thing. And so I would say people looking for that too, you know, are you crying on your birthday? <laughs> like you were, you know, is, is someone, um, you know, finding a way to make something about them, you know, anything that was, yeah, another thing, another, um, I'm just giving people some clues here, but uh, another thing that I brought up in therapy and then my therapist said that is also something is, um, you know, you and I are, are obviously vulnerable, open people. We both have podcasts. We have these kind of conversations. I would find that whenever I let my guard down with him and was really vulnerable, he would stare at me and not <laughs> respond, not, you know, most people, when you yeah. let your guard down, they, they validate you or they say, yes. Oh, that's interesting. And then they share something back and you bond, right? It's like, we're all sharing vulnerable moments and this is beautiful. He would just stare at me and then change the subject, but he had memorized everything I was telling him. And this is not intentional, by the way, something else about narcissism is it's, it's not intentional. It's a survival skill. They don't, they're not sitting there like, I'm going to memorize everything. And then, you know, whatever I'm going to do with this information, but you know, a week or two later, it would come out as a weapon in a weak moment. So, oh, mm, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. having some sort of issue. And he would say, well, you know, that thing that you shared about, you know, that job that you had a long time ago, where that boss said this thing to you, and you, you know, <laughs> were really fucked up in your head about that. 
I mean, it seems like that's kind of what's happening here. Like, and I was like, whoa, would take that very thing that I had shared in confidence Mm. and use it against me and go after my Achilles heel. That was something that I did not even see. And my therapist said, yes, that is a narcissistic technique. Again, something that someone's not doing um, on purpose. It's just something that they do. But I remember I would just, I would, we would sit out like on our balcony and I would share these moments and feel like I was bleeding on the floor from vulnerability and reaching out for him. And he would just stare at me with this blank stare and then change the subject. (laughs) I was like, Oh God, I'm just sitting here like raw hamburger. And, um, but yeah, that's, you know, something else to, to pay attention to and look for. I don't know if you experienced that, but it sounds like you probably did. hundred percent. Yeah. Just with what you're saying. I, I, yeah. And you're just like, wow, that that's mm-hmm. so cruel. But then you realize mm-hmm. actually it's the way they've been raised. Yes. You know, they've been given this yes. importance that they're this great thing. And, and I don't know if you had but a similar situation, but the mother uh-huh. did this codependent narcissistic behavior and they are mimicking their mothers and therefore they behave yes. in this manner. Yes. And um something I, I heard um it was Adam Grant. He was actually, I think it was on the Succession podcast that Kara Swisher hosts. And I love Succession. So I was listening to the podcast and Adam Grant was on talking about narcissism because obviously it's a big theme in Succession. And um, he said, I want to blow up a myth that people have about narcissists, which is that they didn't get enough love. So they oh, are no. trying to overcompensate. Yeah. He said they have been raised to believe they are God's gift to the earth. And then when they go out into the real world, that disconnect of like what I was raised with at home, being told I was the best thing ever, which, you know, is a, is with all good intention. And I'm not trying to point fingers at parents or whatever, but but within reason, right? Part of that. (laughs) Yeah. They go out and the rest of the world goes, you're not that great. What's your problem? Right. I mean, not, and, and, and they are constantly trying to be overcompensate, you know, and be like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. That to me, I mean, I was walking on Coronado Beach when I heard that and I just stopped. I was like, what? Because that's what I have thought too. Like, where was, where was this lack of love? Your parents are such lovely people. I, you know, again, not blaming them, but I just did not understand that that actually, you know, can, can create narcissism. Whereas I'm not saying I'm narcissistic or not, but I was it's to the very different thing, which is you got to earn shit, sis. Like you got to pay your dues and, and prove to everybody like love is not unconditional. So, uh, yeah, we, we, I'm not going to go into a therapy session on that right now, but it was a very different dynamic. than I think most of us were probably raised with. No, but thank you for sharing because it's so important. The more that I see clearly now, I'm just like, wow. And you know, I've yeah. been doing 11 years of work on myself, by the way, dear, like, oh, kudos to you deep work I've been doing ancestral yeah. cultural society work trauma familiar trauma you name it I have done yeah. deep work and I've been helping my clients for years but I oh. didn't even see what I was in and it was so mm-hmm. interesting towards the end that some of my clients had gone through toxic relationships and some of the things that were happening to them it was happening to me and I went oh light bulb moment light bulb moment I'm like this is and I'm telling them like this is not right and I'm like shit this is not right for me and look in the mirror I'm, right yeah 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 it was because the situation had changed but the truth all started coming out towards the end and I was just like whoa who was this person you know and then like my eyes opened clearly and everything was just like wow but um yeah it's I feel like it's so important to have these conversations because so many highly educated women like and I think the problem is as well which I've realized is that when you are high value woman Mm -hmm. and you know highly educated we have been told we've been sold the idea that we are aiming too far in life or that you know we are full of ourselves or also that um we need to drop down our standards because men out there are not going to mm-hmm. like the way we are so we kind uh-huh. of reduce our standards a little bit without realizing actually we didn't need to do that you know no. and therefore we attract these insecure men who have this need to control who then start manipulating you and not all of these people by the way i'm just saying yeah sure some experiences but it's a trend Yeah. Whereas if, you know, we were taught that being your high value energy and a high value man will match you, then it'll be fine. But we've been, but we, society has made us feel like, oh, you've got too high standards. You need to reduce your standards. And by reducing your standards, a lot of women have ended up in these toxic situations and it needs to change. We need to change the way the narrative about how women need to be in the world and how, what kind of relationship they need to have. And, you know, not say that we need to be, we are overly ambitious and we need to like lower our standards. No, that shit needs to go now. We need to be in our power 
and and have yes. somebody who matches the same level of frequency. Oh yeah. And I love that you use the word frequency and vibration. I'm very into that. And it reminds me of a couple of things on that. I had someone, I had a friend, I was at coffee with a friend once and she said, you know, what are you looking for in a partner? And I, you know, said, well, this, this is all this. And she just stared at me and she said, yeah, I think you're going to be alone for a long time. And I said, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. I said, but here's the, th-. she was like, that is a lot. Like, you're not going to find a man who has all of those things. You're going to have to figure out like, which of those things will you settle for? She used that word. And I said, here's the thing though. And this is a fairly good friend of mine. Everything that I just said to you, don't I bring that to the table? And she was like, hundred percent. Yeah. And I said, then how is it impossible for me to find someone else who has the same? I, I should be able to, it's one thing when you're saying, and I want this person to be this and this, and it's like, Hey sis, you don't bring any of that shit to the table, like, or, or most of it. So that's kind of not realistic. If you haven't cultivated something within yourself to ask for it in someone else, unless it's a complimentary thing, like I'm good at writing, you're good at math or, you know, whatever, something like that. But you know, these things that are like really coming from within, within your soul. So that was something I think a lot of women are told that like you will mm-hmm. find somebody, Oh, you're amazing. You have all of these, you know, wonderful traits, Like you're not going to find somebody who has that. So get used to it. That's one message we get. And I think, thank you, patriarchy for, you know, teaching (laughs) us to settle for bullshit. And then the other piece of it is, um, I think that when you are a smart, successful woman who has your shit together, you have your life together. Um, a lot of people believe that you're impervious to abuse, that that's not possible for someone like you. How would that happen to you? You're imagining things. Not that anyone ever said that to me, but I said it to myself. That's not Mm. possible. You know, society tricks us into, I don't know what kind of woman they think, you know, goes through this, but there are certainly stereotypical situations and you're thinking, well, that I'm not any of that. So it's not possible. Like I have my shit together. I'm a smart person. What are you talking about? Um, But yeah, no, it can happen to anybody. 100%. 100%. And it's just so interesting what you, what your friend said, because I got told, oh, well, because I'm in my mid-30s, oh, well, you'll probably end up with someone who's divorced. Now, there's nothing wrong with someone being divorced, but it was like, why are you being so negative? Like, I will find yeah. the right match for me. I'm not going to like, I'm not going right. to lower my standards again. Like, I'm not going to make those mistakes that I did back mm-hmm. many years ago. I'm learning to accept what I want, and I'm not going to stand for anything else. I want a high value masculine man, a healthy masculine man, not a wounded masculine man. And I do not want a wounded feminine man ever again. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you, they can, they can, uh, I, I think, you know, that the, when you think about the divine masculine, divine feminine energy, right. That you're, we're, we're speaking the same language here. I think it is a great thing to have a man who can step into their divine feminine energy and, and, and realize that you can be gentle and strong at the same time. That's very appealing to me. I was, and, and I'm not someone that believes I got to go the opposite of what I've had before. Um, because that's not necessarily you know, the case, sometimes you go the opposite, like, oh, there's still issues over here. But um, I was with someone who completely rejected that, which is why, you know, the dynamic was the way that it was, there was no vulnerability, no tenderness, Mm -hmm. no gentleness, nothing, all hard, charging, masculine energy. And, um, and that's okay. And I, there was so much that I was attracted to, because like you, I had, I had been with, you know, the wounded that, you know, needed all sorts of help. And I, but I thought he represented, oh, I finally healed that. Now I'm drawn to this very hyper-masculine, but it needs to be both. You need to be able to step out of that for a second or have one foot in each one. I can be strong and masculine for you because you need me in this moment where you feel really vulnerable and you're going through cancer. And I can also reach in and, and, and sit with you. He was unable to sit with me in my most vulnerable, tender moments, pretty much just abandoned me during it because he could not step into that feminine energy. And you kind of got to have somebody who can do both. Oh, 100%. What I mean by is is that it's the healthy version sides. I think a lot of yeah. us attract the wounded masculine and the wounded feminine. So uh-huh. the wounded masculine is like what you were saying and explaining that, you know, it's no empathy at all or support in any kind of way. Yeah. And then the wounded feminine is the victim, constantly being a victim, like, oh, everything's yes. so hard for me and me, 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 me. So we can end up attracting those, say, for example, I'll give an example. Say, for example, if your dad was a wounded masculine, you might end up you know, attracting loads of wounded masculine men. And then years later, you were like, you know what, something's got to change. Let me go with a feminine man. 
but they'll actually end up being a wounded feminine man because you haven't healed uh-huh. that part of you. So therefore, then you've had the wounded mask, uh, feminine man and then you're like, oh, actually, it's not about that. I actually need a healthy masculine man who can display healthy feminine energy. I love that. I've tattooed that end onto my brain now, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> like that is, yeah, you articulated that so beautifully because of what the work that you do and what you know, like, I'm just like, Kate, it's healthy, masculine, healthy, feminine, um, and finding that balance. Yeah. And possible because I see that in you, you know? So if you, if you, if you look in the mirror and you see it in yourself, Mm. it's possible. It's possible. Oh, it's a hundred percent possible. And it's amazing how people come into your life. Like I ended up, I can't remember how this woman came into my life. Um, She's actually a relationship coach and she actually talks about, and it was just funny how all the timing when I was about to leave and she came in and I was just like, oh my God, she just reminded me like, you know, you're not a Walmart, honey, you're a, you're a Rolex. And I was like, oh shit. Oh, <laughs> what a great analogy. Yes. Right? And so many yes. women have been put in the Walmart section when actually they're a Rolex. So they deserve a high value man. So therefore, you know, mm-hmm. she has helped when I mean, many women we're talking like over a thousand women get the man of their dreams get the ring that they want but who actually adore them and give them that respect and support and love and I'm like you know it's so possible it's so possible we just have been taught the opposite and she also talks about like rotational dating um and I'm like for women and I was like whoa and I'm like women rotational Uh dating but the reason that which is dumb which I now understand as well and again it's men that tend to do this where they rotationally date one woman after another and then women can be like oh why are they not picking me or why is he dating several other people Uh we need to be we need to be the same because we need to have options and we need to see what the best option is but we've been taught the opposite, you know, savers, you know, I'm picked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, I, and I'm, I, you know, I wish I had done that, you know, in my thirties of, of like, I, instead it was just this person checks all the boxes and maybe, you know, this is going to be the person, the one, right. Like, and, and yeah. I actually, I was at dinner with some friends um, back in, in March and the husband was telling me about rotational dating and he was like, well, that's what I did. And when I met her um, and they're older, wow. they met in like their late forties, early fifties. Wow. He was like, I, I told her, this is what I'm doing. And I encourage it in anybody. You don't have to, but you know, she was like, in a way felt like, oh, am I just sitting around waiting to be chosen? <laughs> like what the hell? But also embraced this philosophy of, of, you know, and, and not to feel like, I think women are raised to believe that that means somebody's a player. Yeah. And it's not that that can't be true, but yeah, it's like, oh no, it is. Uh, yeah. It, it's a groundbreaking concept, something that I never did before. Um, but I see exactly what you're saying. I see the value in it. Yeah. Same. I was, the, I was the same as well before about a decade ago, I'd be like, no, if a man wants you, you'll just be the only woman. But actually, I've uh-huh. learned that now, recently, more than ever, actually, no, it's good to rotationally date because then you can see what, what works for you. And actually, there's no yes. harm, like you said. If you tell them, that's great. Then mm-hmm. they, then you know. And then, you know, there's no, you shouldn't feel guilty about it. And, you know, there's so much we as women need to allow ourselves to embrace and let go of those stereotypical values that we were raised with or told and the patriarchal crap. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah, it's it's time to break all that bullshit down. Yeah. So we are coming towards the end of the show. It's gone so quick. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Um, oh, what are your five top tips for someone who's struggling to let go of a toxic relationship? And what you know now? I Yeah, I think um, the first thing is to really not be afraid to take a step back. If something doesn't feel right or I will will also say if you are having one thing after another in your life and you find yourself like oh why me why can't i catch a break um it's one thing after another it's like you know one day my tire blew out and then we had this argument and then somebody lost you know i don't want to um, make light of people who may truly be in difficult circumstances and shit is just happening mm-hmm. but i was in a position of like for 10 years that felt like my i was just constantly on high alert all the time. Something was always falling apart. Stepping back and going, am I out of alignment? Is it possible that I'm out of alignment? Meaning Mm -hmm. I'm with the wrong person. I live in the wrong place. I'm doing the wrong job and not being afraid to go into therapy 
and think about that and address that. I think a lot of people are afraid to take the, the blindfold off. So that's my first thing I would say is, you know, just be prepared to, or, or, you know, be open to examining your life. Mm-hmm. And second, I would say, um, not being afraid to make the hard choices, the things that you know you should do. I need to leave this relationship. I need to get into this relationship. That's another one that is to me recently is like you do a bunch of work and you're like, oh, I'm kind of in a place where I could probably have a healthy relationship. And for some reason, you're not stepping into it. Um, I need to leave this job. I need to go to this job. I need to start this business or start this podcast, whatever's pulling you that you're resisting because you're telling yourself some kind of story. Um, don't be afraid to make those choices. That's what I would call, you know, the intentional choice or the aligned action or the inspired action, even though it's like, oh my God, you know, for me, when I left Microsoft, started Tula, started here for me and left my marriage, all I could think was I'm going to go broke, fail and be alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God. Or not that I was going to, but those are my fears. Like, what yeah. if I go broke? Cause if I do this, what if I fail? What if I, I mean, I let go of another income. You know, I mean, it was half of my household income was gone. We we basically earned the same amount of money. And I thought, holy shit, how am I going to, you know, take care of myself? Oh my God, I'm in this apartment for at least, you know, another six months or whatever. It's not something I can do on my own. Um, but when you feel pulled towards something called towards something, walk towards it and trust this is a very woo-woo thing, but I mean it. The universe has your back. When you choose yourself. And walk towards the thing that you know you need to do. You need to leave this marriage for yourself, for your kids, whatever. The universe has your back. So that would be you know, the second thing. Um, see if I can come up with five. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think the third thing is really trusting yourself. Mm. And that, uh, that may, it may all start with that, honestly, of just when you have those moments of like, huh, this seems off, you know, um, Trust that your intuition is speaking to you and give it space to do that, whether that's journaling, meditating, just being quiet. I walk on the beach a lot. Sometimes I have music in and and music. Actually, some people are like, oh, you can't be alone with your thoughts. It's like, yeah, well, sometimes music puts me in touch with my thoughts. It is my lifeblood. It has been my whole life. Um, Sometimes I'm listening to like frequencies, that that, that kind of uh, those tones to kind of rebuild uh, connections in my brain. So whatever it is that you need to tap into your intuition and listen, I would say the fourth thing is pay attention to what your body is telling you. If you are having repeat health issues, it wasn't, it didn't start for me with the skin and the eye. I had for years, even before my ex, my entire life, rashes, GI issues, migraines. There were some hormonal and medical reasons for my migraines too, but I would also get the off cycle and be like, why is this? Well, I'm dehydrated. I'm, you know, in an abusive dynamic, whatever it was, pay attention, tune into your body. And I think here's my fifth thing is to do all of that. You have to not be afraid to hold up a mirror and look at yourself in it and go within and shine a flashlight on all of your dark corners. If you can't look in the mirror and get honest with yourself and then do the examining work, nothing else even matters. You you can't take inspired action. You can't find a way to, you know, see what's happening in your life for what it is. Any of the first four things that I just talked about are not possible until you're really willing to look within yourself. And it is painful and it is hard, but there are therapists who do so many different, there's, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, schema therapy, somatic experiencing, DBT, like lots of different ways that you can work with a therapist. You kind of have to sometimes interview them and and find one that is a good fit for you and who um, uses modalities that speak to you. But um, doing that inner work and then taking the aligned inspired action as a result of what you learn about yourself, mm. once you walk that path, you are on the road to an authentic life that you are meant to live on this earthly plane. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Those are amazing. And I think they are so important in each, every step is so important. Um, what are you most grateful for? Um, I am most grateful for having the courage to look in the mirror and get honest with myself. I am most grateful for that. And and even though, particularly what I went through with my now ex-husband, um, was awful, 
he gave me the greatest gift of my life, which is myself. Mm, and it took that. a long time. It took as long as it was going to take. As you said, people were like, why aren't you leaving? Why aren't you leaving? You leave when you're ready. And when you go and you're not crawling out on your hands and knees when you're strong emotionally and physically. Um, I did it when I was ready. I have not looked back, but um, the gift of seeing and loving and accepting myself is truly the greatest gift. And I'm forever grateful for it. And what shines your inner light? Every day, finding a way to be true to myself, whether that is writing, whether that is having a conversation like this, um, something that creates a connection either between me and another or me and myself. Um, you know, my inner light was shining this past weekend because I chose to stay in bed and just nurture myself all day on Saturday, which is, I realize a luxury of <laughs> someone who is not have, does not have a family, you know, it's not a choice that everybody can make, but, um, I just needed to recover. I needed, to, I was, and as I woke up and it's like, what feels warm today? What do I need to do to connect with me? And it was, I'm going to bring the coffee in bed. I'm going to read in bed. I'm going to do some tarot. Um, again, I realize that's a very privileged position, but anything you can do, you know, or anything that I can do every day to connect with myself, with the people outside of me and figure out that authentic connection is what makes my light shine really greatly. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being on the show and sharing your truth and wisdom with us and being so vulnerable to show that anything is possible if you just believe in yourself and you always have the power to 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 be yourself and you know never fall short thank you so much for giving me this and for holding space and sharing your story um i love the work that you're doing and i'm absolutely honored to be with you today what an amazing episode with nicole it's so important to know how to love and accept yourself and look at your patterns from your childhood so you can actually understand how you've ended up in certain relationships now, unfortunately, that's the end of the show. But before I leave, I want to leave you with this quote. You are not responsible for the abuse inflicted upon you. You are not responsible for the choices that the abuser makes, but you are responsible for your own healing. That's a quote by Christine Hammond. Take care, my sisters. Bye. For more information about the show or how to trust your inner light, visit my new coaching program at gerdshundle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.